Last week we talked about the young man who had epilepsy. You may be seated. The young man that had epilepsy and how he was uh, tormented so much so that he would cast himself into the fire and then he would cast himself into the water and how Jesus had to deliver him. So today we're going to talk about deliverance again. We talk about deliverance that came, or providing deliverance from the other side, where deliverance is provided to the other side. We talk about the wild man of Gadara. Now, a lot of interesting things are happening right now that we want to call your attention to, or at least address. One, as we talked about the demon from last week in Mark chapter 9, at verse 17 through 29, uh, this epileptic would cast himself into the fire and into the water. I just want to kind of hone in on that before we get to the wild man in Gadara. And let's look at the extremities from fire to water to water to fire. That's how he would cast himself into first. It would be whether it be the water first or the fire first, but he would go from one extreme to the other from the water to the fire, from the fire to the water. And we look at the, uh, what water and fire can do. It has a cleansing effect when properly used, but both can be destructive when misused. If you, you can drown in water and you can burn up in fire. So it's really letting us know that the young man, because of his epilepsy, was out of control because he could not regulate between. He could not deal with just one, but he would go from the fire to the water, to the water to the fire. And we see several scriptures in relation to what that implies, because one of the things I've learned is that when you read scripture, you have to look at the implications that are contained within scripture, because when God does a thing, he's telling us much more than you read. But there is an understanding, an interpretation that's contained within the Scripture. We talk about water. Remember when John the Baptist was baptizing? He said, the one who's coming after me will baptize you not, uh, he will not baptize you with water, but with fire. He said that will be a, and he was really quoting out of Malachi, the cleansing effect, the, uh, how he would cleanse us. And it would not just be the external cleansing, but the inward cleansing. And in this, we see how water would wash away particular things, but fire burns it away so that it's dealt with in a more complete manner. So with this, uh, in light of some of the events that's taking place, we're talking about the extremities, and we talk about deliverance that is necessary, and we look at these deliverances primarily as it uh, applies to individuals, individuals that are in need of deliverance. In fact, we see in this world there's a whole lot of schizophrenia that's going on. People who are double-minded, dual in their approach to life. They see things, try to be on both sides of a, a, a situation. But in this, with this dualism, as we're getting ready to celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on tomorrow, we understand that this dualism carries over into society because people are trying to, and they have a difficult time balancing the two extremities, the extremities between justice and righteousness. Both are, uh, uh, both must be applied, that we must be a just people and we must also be a righteous people. But when you sacrifice justice for righteousness or righteousness for justice, then that which supposed to be just is no longer just because it's not just without righteousness. And that which supposed to be righteous is not righteous because it's not righteous unless it's just. So it was something that Dr. King said, and I'm just going to hit a few points before I get into this about the wild man of Gadara. He said, yet even as we face, in the face of this growing civil rights movement, many white moderates continued to counsel patience in the end. And say King believed white moderates' political in inaction was produced by effect of, uh, he calls it, affected ignorance that was found in the motivation of self-interest, self-interested reasoning and ideology. 
So he was saying while white moderates now understood precisely how wrong racial segregation was, they also knew that acting on this injustice would mean giving up practices and structures that befitted them. They blinded themselves to the full strength of segregation's wrongness. And he continued to go on and talk about how in this, we talk about the ambivalence within society. He said, we can see the development, the developing dilemma of white America, the haunting ambivalence, the intellectual and moral recognition that slavery is wrong. But the emotional tie to the system so deep, is so deep and pervasive that it imposes an inflexible unwillingness to root it out. And he goes on, he said some very powerful things, very profound things to understand that for the sake of expediency, there are certain things that are tolerated. That's what he's really saying. We tolerate it for the sake of expediency. How much must be given up if we were to take a different stance, if we were to believe differently than what we believe? So therefore, the belief was not based upon right and wrong, not based upon righteousness or justice, but it had to do with expediency. How can, what would serve me the best? What purpose would serve me the best? So therefore, I believe and support uh, these particular beliefs. So now, let's look at what happened with the, uh, the wild man at Gadara. Jesus said something, even if you read, I, I'm reading it. We have several passages of Scripture that dealt with that. I know it's in Luke. It's in Mark, as was read earlier. But it's also found in the book of, of Luke, and uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 26, verse through 39. And one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now, I want you to hear this. He said, let us cross over to the other side. Now, look at what that was really saying. We see things happening on this side. And we begin to focus our attention primarily on what's happening on this side. But Jesus began to stretch them beyond their, their comfort levels and said, let us cross over to the other side because there are some things taking place outside of your norm, outside of the references that you are uh, accustomed to. So he says that you're now going to go into an unfamiliar place. You're going to be in an uh, in unfamiliar territory. And in that, when you arrive there, you're going to find out that these people don't think the same way you think. <laughs> they don't act the same way you act. They don't do things the same way you do them. But Jesus said, we're going to pierce and penetrate the culture that resides on the other side. So this very, you see, it's very important, significant in this particular time that we understand what it means to move into an environment, or at least get involved in the lives of people that's not just like us, that doesn't think like us, don't believe like us, whatever, but getting to the place of piercing and penetrating culture, one of the things we speak uh, a whole lot about. So now, when Jesus said that, he was saying, we're going to go into the heathen nations. We're going into heathen nations because these people were raising pigs. They were raising pigs, pigs. And, and, and let me tell you something. Not only were they raising pigs, many of them had pig-like lifestyles. They acted like pigs. So what happens, we begin to look at a people that may be raised in luxury. They may be raised in uh, all of uh, prominence and having all the luxuries of life, but then what it would be like for that person to visit the ghetto, to see what people live like when they don't have those conveniences, they don't have all those things that you have grown accustomed to, and you begin to look at it as being beneath you. But Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. And then he got over there and he ran into a wild man in the area or the region, an area called Gadara, the wild men of Gadara. And, and, and let's look at this man for a moment because I want you to see him as he is. He was the epitome of uh, the, the, the environment in which he was residing in. 
In fact, if you looked at him, he took on the identity of whatever the people called him. Whatever they called him, that's who he was. Because he talks about he had, he had various, you see, because he was possessed by various, many demons. But understand what he's saying. He had many personalities. He had many personalities. Uh, you, you talk about schizophrenia. He had many personalities. So, so understand, this young man, uh, I would suppose he's a young man, who identified with the environment was of such that even though he identified with all these people, look at how he lived. He lived among the monuments. He lived among the tombs. He lived among the tombs. We talk about the tombs. Those tombs represent the past. Those tombs represent dead bodies, dead things. People had died, and there were tombs erected as a monument to those who had died. That's where he lived. So in other words, he lived in the past. He lived in the past, but not only did he live in the past, he lived among that which was dead. That's where he was. People that had died, that had become his permanent residence. So in other words, there's no future. There's no, there's no progression taking place within his life because he's locked in. He's locked in to his environment among the dead, among the dead. Now, we begin to search our hearts and search our minds and begin to reflect upon where do we live? Where do we live? Do we live among the living or do we live among the dead? You see, how, why would you seek the living among the dead? Why would you look for something that's alive when you find yourself always engaged in dead things? So, so, so understand, we talk about dead environments, dead things, things that are even works, dead works. Works that are not spiritually motivated, even though you may be doing particular things and you think that you're making progress, but the truth of the matter is that you're still living among the dead. So, at, at, but let me tell you something else about this, this fella. He had no clothes on. He was naked. He was naked. He had no clothes. Remember when Adam, when, when Adam and Eve, after they transgressed the Word of God, the law of God, now, now, what you didn't know is that they were clothed beforehand, but they were clothed with the glory of God. They were clothed with the glory of God. So, in other words, even though they didn't have on clothes like we know clothes to be, but they were clothed with the glory of God. In other words, they could be transparent. They could be open and transparent. But after sin, they became, you see, they became uh, too self-aware and, and, and understand hypercritical of themselves. So their nakedness was exposed to them. They became naked. And he says, and he asked him, Jesus said, who told you? God told him. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of that which is forbidden? You say, when you eat of that forbidden, the devil tempted him to her to eat of the forbidden. But after he, after she ate of it, the same devil that tempted her began to tease her. Begin to expose her. Look at you. You don't have any clothes on. <laughs> Not only you don't have any clothes on, look at your, look at your naked husband. <laughs> he doesn't have any clothes on either. You see how the devil does? He tricked you into something. And we understand that happens a lot during addictions. Why don't you try it? It's that bait and switch type thing. Get you involved in something and then laugh at you because you make a fool out of yourself. But understand, this is how he lived. He lived, he lost his identity, he lived in monuments, he lived, he lost his identity, he, he lived a, reflecting, a, a reflective life that led to death because, in other words, he's waiting on death to catch up with him because he's already there. He said, he, he said I don't have to go any further. When I die, all I have to do is lay down where I, where I already live because <laughs> he's living among the tombs. He's waiting on death to catch him. So that's how he lived. We mentioned he had, he had many, multiple personalities. He was, uh, uh, worst case, the scenario was that he had all these personalities, and, uh, and so you don't know what you may face. You got a while, but you go one day to the next. You don't know what you're going to face. So, so, so when he saw Jesus, now, now that's important. But this same wild man, this same person, first of all, from the other side, saw Jesus. This man saw Jesus. And then it says, and when he saw Jesus, 
he fell down before him. This is out of the this is the, out of out of Mark. I'm reading out of Mark here, the 28th verse. When he saw Jesus, he fell out. He fell out, or fell, cried out rather, and fell down before him. Now, when he says here, when he fell down, he, he cried out. He was crying from a deep place within his heart, his soul, because even demons. You see, the Bible says that uh, you say you 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 believe. He said you do well. He said, but even devils believe, and they tremble. They don't just believe, they tremble. So this demon recognized Jesus. And the problem today is that there are people today that don't recognize him. I would say the majority within this generation does not recognize Jesus. But they look at other things that try to, try to emulate him. And they find themselves gravitating in that direction rather than in the direction that Jesus Christ is. But in this instance, Jesus found him. Jesus came to him. And when Jesus showed up, watch what happened. He cried out and fell down. Now listen to the posture in which he took. He fell down. That's the posture of worship. That's the posture of worship. In other words, his strength failed him. His strength left his body. He fell down, and he said, and, and here's what he did. He recognized the power and authority that Jesus Christ has. He, read, he said, man, he's greater. That's why I said devils tremble because devils know the strength that he possessed, that the strength of God, the strength of Jesus Christ is greater than his strength. Therefore, he's a fallen angel. And understand his demons are there to carry out his bidding. But he fell down, and, and, and it fell down before him. And he began to say, what business do I have to do with you? What, what, what business do we have between each other? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torment me. Now, look what he acknowledged. He recognized that he did not have enough strength of power over Jesus Christ. And he said, but Jesus had enough strength and power to torment him. In other words, let's put it down like I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in deep trouble now. He said, man, Jesus Christ. Jesus. You see, this is not what it was representative. Jesus showed up. I'm in deep trouble. He said, has the judgment come already? Will this be the time when I will be thrown into the abyss? Will I be thrown into the abyss? Will this be the time, the terror of the darkness that, 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 he, had, that, that he had not experienced as of yet, living among the tombs, will this be the time? Well, I will experience that. What business? Lord, I beg you. I beg you. He didn't say, I bet you. I dare you. No, I beg you. I beg you. Please. Look, look at how the role switch. The enemy torments those who he know he has power over. <laughs> Are you hearing me now? If he know he has you in his grips, he can... He can take his power and authority and manipulate you and cause you to do stuff, whatever he desires he wants you to do. But when he ran into Jesus, he recognized, he said, I can't do anything with this one. I can't do anything with this one because there was nothing in him. That's what sin does. Sin, he finds something within the individual that he identifies with. He said, you, you know the story, he talks about how, I told the story many years ago about how there's a, uh, the person said, I will sell you the property, but all, I'll sell you everything but a peg, but a peg within, on the property. And he said, okay, that's a big deal. But what he did, since he owned the peg, he could put on the peg anything he so desired. So he put a rotten a carcass on the plague to make it so uncomfortable for the person to live in the house that the person had to evacuate because of the usage of the pig that remained. So the devil does the same thing in people's lives today. If he can find a little foothold, it ain't got to be something big, just a little bit of something that you refuse to give up. You say, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to hold on to this. I don't, I, you can't tell me other than this. You can't tell me anything other than this. I'm going to hold on to it. The devil says, that's all I need. That's all I need. All I need is a pig in your life. The scripture talks about that too. He said, I'll hang something on that pig. That, that your whole life will be miserable as a result of that little thing that you refuse to give over to the Lord. 
The devil trying to find something in you that he can use, a place within you, a, so he can set up a stronghold within your life. you got to hear me now. So he said, what business do I have with you? He said, do not torment, he, do, do not torment me. Verse 29, for he had commanded, here's what he did, because Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Jesus had already taken authority over the unclean spirit. Jesus had already taken authority. Now, understand how that spirit operated. That spirit will take over. It will seize him. And he, he, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. In other words, here he was. They had to, they had to tie him up. They had to tie him up and tie him down for two reasons. Because if they didn't tie him up and tie him down, he would do one of two things. He would either hurt somebody or he'd hurt himself. Do you see that? He'd hurt somebody, hurt himself. Because he's a wild man. He's a wild man. That, that's no, they, let me put it this way. Unpredictable behavior. You don't know what he's going to do next. He just might do anything. How we've said, liable to do anything. So what happened, they had to bind him up, tie him down, and then put somebody to guard over him, to watch over him, to watch over him, put a guard over him while he was bound in chains and shackles. But he had supernatural strength. He had supernatural strength. These demons are something else. He would break the chains and shackles. The chains and shackles could not hold him. No man could bind him with ropes. I think that's what King James talked about. No one could bind him with rope because whatever rope, whatever fetter was used to try to bind him up, this fella, because of the fact that his mind, you see, his body and his mind were not functioning rightly, he just break free. You think you got him lied. You think you got him tied down. You think that he's under control, and then out of nowhere, he just break free. He said, this, in other words, your little, your little ropes don't mean anything to me. You know, I bind you. He said, you, you don't have the strength. And, and, and let me tell you something. Look at how this applies to our lives when we try to deliver ourselves. When we attempt to save ourselves, when we put forth effort to rescue ourselves, People think that they, this is a do-it-yourself type lifestyle, life. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do this thing by yourself because the devil, the devil will just, he will dig in deeper. And if you even got free, well, I stopped smoking, that, but now you're still lying. You're still cheating. You're still, you see, you may get over one thing. People think because particularly the beginning of the year, we begin to make these resolutions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. You can't do it in your own strength, y'all. You can't do all the stuff that you desire to do in your own strength because what happens, there's one that's stronger than you. Let's give the devil. You see, yeah, I, I, I did this to the devil. And I kicked him. Devil, I fight. Let me tell you something. You're dealing with a viable opponent. Don't take your, don't take your adversary lightly. To think that you can just say a few things and do a few things and that's it. No, he's looking into your life. He's looking into your life. He's looking at those things that you don't even pay attention to or you thought didn't mean anything. So what happened? He breaks superhuman strength. He breaks free. And he's still. You said, what I thought I had gotten over. No, you hadn't really gotten over the way you thought. So he, he was a terror to himself as well as to others living. And here's how he lived in dark places. The devil liked dark stuff. He liked darkness. The devil loves darkness. He loved darkness. He loved to go places where it's dark. I don't know how these people get this thing now where you go to church and you cut all the lights out and you put the spotlight on the speaker. That's too much focus. That, that, that's, you see, I, I don't want the focus to be primarily on myself. You see, here's something that uh, Tim Keller said. Tim Keller said this. He said that you can, you can attain knowledge, knowledge through your instruct, being instructed right. Good instructions, you can attain knowledge. 
So, so in other words, you're getting knowledge now. You're getting knowledge even when you read books and when you study and all that. You can attain knowledge through instructions. He said, but you can only attain wisdom in community. You can only attain wisdom in community. So what happens, you see, he was isolated from people. He was one that lived among dead things and the like. So he, you, the world is full of tombs. If you think that you're going to grow in the world spiritually, you have another thing coming. You, you, you see, you're just like the wild medical dare. You're not growing. You say, am I saved? Well, you still have, you may have some life in you, but you're not developing. You're not growing. You grow in the environment of community. I said that the other week, that we need each other in order to grow. We need each other. Whatever that might mean to, to you or to others, we need each other in order to grow. You, you see, I, I've grown a lot since I've been married. <laughs> you see, I had to grow. I had to grow up, you see, because I'm having to deal with someone that's not me. You see, and, and you see, now I'm getting some objectivity. I'm getting some objectivity because beforehand, if I just lived unto myself, I'm always right. <laughs> I'm all, I know I'm right. <laughs> because I'm standing alone. I'm doing this thing by myself, you see. So I'm always right. You, you can't tell me. You see, if I'm isolated for an extended period of time, then I become right in my own eyes. Because no one is there to provide any objectivity. As long as, you see, somebody has to pose me. Somebody tell me, hey, you better think about this thing. You better give some thought to this particular thing. You're not thinking right. You're not thinking straight. When you come to church, when you come to church and receive right instructions, it will cause you to think differently because you must look at yourself in relation to others. That's why we have this sign here. You must look at yourself in relation. How is my life affecting the lives of others? Yeah, I've got my own thing going. I'm doing well by myself. But how much are you contributing into the lives of others? So now, look at what happens. So now, as community, so now, and we're talking about the, 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 the household of faith. We're talking about the household of faith, developing within the household of faith so that our faith the faith that we have in the Lord, we are at a place whereby now we are witnesses unto Him. As a collective witness, we begin to tell people all over the world that all throughout Metro Atlanta, cross-culture church is about Jesus. Well, I'm about Jesus. That's not good enough. But we are about Jesus. Look, the love that we have for one another, the love that we uh, extend to others, we put it all out there. So now, look at what happens. Dark places we mentioned, surrounded by death. Here's something else about this, this guy. He's full of pain. Don't think he's enjoying himself. Don't think it's, you think that a person that's wild, out of control, is enjoying it himself? He's full of pain. He's full of pain. I mean, inside he's hurt. That's why he lashes out. Don't get in his way. Because what? Hurt people. Hurt people. He's a dangerous fella. He, he'll hit you. He'll hurt you. But it's really his pain that's driving him in that direction. He's hurting on the inside, so he lash out at you. I've had this happen many times, and you have too. People that's hurting, and then they lash out. Uh, just, just preempted strike. They come out, and you say, well, what, where did this come from? Where is this coming from? I hate you. I just don't like you. Such and such. And such. I cannot. Oh, where is this coming from? What did I say? What did I do? You didn't have to say anything. You didn't have to do anything. That's how that person feel about himself or herself. And they're lashing out because of the fact that they have some inward issues that are left unresolved. So now we begin to see that happens out of their pain. And here's another thing, too, to understand concerning it their feelings of, of being unloved, unloved, that they are not loved. And, and, and not only that, not only do they feel unloved, 
they feel unloving, that they're not worthy of love. Nobody loves me. How can anybody love me? Not even worthy of love. So there's a complex that the world is against me. Nobody loves me. And I have to fight in order to survive. That's the attitude. That's the attitude. So now, we mentioned earlier on how the enemy deals with that. Addictions. Addictions. I call that the bait and switch. The, the bait is taken. We mentioned then the person is ridiculed. Uh, we were talking the other day about mental illness. Mental illness. And, and, and uh, I, I'm just, I had a call I, I was talking to a, a, a young lady yesterday, and she was telling me about her grandson. Same situation, same situation, where he uh, took his life. He jumped out of a 12-story window, he said, and he jumped out of that window because he felt unloved. He felt unloved. He felt as if his life was not even worthy of love. Nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. So as a result of it, so what difference would it make if I'm no longer around? That's really what had happened. So now, look at what happened here. He was at a place where a person is this place where they feel unloved, unworthy of love, and, and their unhealthy thoughts enter into the mind. You see, the person is vulnerable to suggestions that would drive one further in the wrong direction. Unhealthy suggestions, unhealthy thoughts have entered his mind and don't let someone suggest a particular thing because, you see, he's vulnerable to suggestions. Well, how, do, how do you want, you mentioned demons and he, how he was, uh, uh, he was called legion. All of the suggestions became a part of his personality. This is what you look like, therefore, that per person carry that. So, Jesus Let's go look at Jesus now. Jesus shows up on the other side. And what's the first thing he asked him? What's your name? What's your name? He said, what is your name? What is your name? Now, identity. Identity. He said, what is your name? Well, they called me. You see, the Bible said a certain man. That's a, he didn't even give a name, a certain man. But what is your name? They call me Legion. <laughs> That's what they called me. They called me Legion. Why? Because I have many devils. <laughs> That's what they called me. That's what they called me. Everywhere I go, they say, hey, Legion, hey, hey, Leech. <laughs> they call me Legion. And then he goes on to say, for we are many. We are men. He spoke. Now, look at his community. They call me legion, for we are many. I'm, I, I'm all of that and more. Now, what's a legion? A legion uh, is, is, in military terms, that's, that's over 10,000. That's 10,000 or more soldiers. That's 10,000 or more soldiers. So he says, so in this, he was really saying, you can't be larger than that. He's saying, in essence, I have so much going on inside of me that it cannot be mapped out very easily. He said, it could very well be over 10,000 activities taking place at one time. That's a messed up man, isn't it? Now, that's the one that begged. He said, look, don't, 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 don't. And Jesus said, come out. He said, Lord, don't. Jesus, I don't want to go to this bottomless pit. He said, I'll tell you what you'll do then. Since I've identified who you are, I've called you out. I'm dealing with you. First of all, I showed up. I've called you out. I'm dealing with you. Tell you what I'll do. I'll, let, I'll permit you to go into a herd of pigs. I'll let you go into a herd of pigs. 10,000. A herd of swine, a herd of pigs, uh, is, is estimated to be about 2,000 pigs. I'll let your 10,000 go into 2,000 pigs. So now, these pigs are possessed. 
these pigs are possessed. Uh, what, what writer, what, what guy, it tickled me. He, he said, he said, <laughs> he said, if it had been chickens, <laughs> he said, uh, then they would lay devil eggs. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, but they're not chicken, they're pigs. <clears throat> so he said, well, 2,000. And watch these pigs. These pigs now don't have one demon, but all 2,000 pigs have many demons, not as many as a man had. He had all that was possessed within 2,000 pigs. So what do they do? They go jump in the lake. They go jump in the lake and drown themselves. The question is, where did those demons go? Where did those demons go? They're still out here. There's a, you have a demon. You have a demon. That's a demon for me. All of us, whoever want a demon, there's enough demons out here to possess everyone. Not just one demon. You can have as many demons as you desire because the demons didn't die. The demons are still looking for a place to possess. And that was just one instance. This one man, one instance, one situation. But can you imagine the third of all of heaven that, that, that rebelled with Lucifer? Those angels became demons. And understand, those demons are still around today. Demons. Demons. But understand, that's why we put on the whole armor of God. That's why we must... We must cling on to God because demons, uh, devil himself, he will possess, present himself as an angel of light. In this day, there's more. Oh, that's a whole other message, but there's more, I would say, uh, deception in this day than ever before. Things that appear to be so godly and godlike that if you look at it from the surface, you would not be, uh, you, you, you would, you would, you would, Bet your bottom dollar that this is God. This must be God because look at all the benefits. Look at how healthy it appears to be. That's how the devil operates. In the last day deception, it's not the devil with the pitchfork, pitch the red suit and horns. If he came in looking like that, I mean, everybody in here said, you get out of here. This is not the place for you. I mean, when he got to the parking lot, I'm certain Ellis uh, 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 <laughs> would have got him. Ellis would have, uh, you, he would have took care of that fella at the parking lot. But, but, but just think, and if any of y'all saw him coming down the street trying to, would you tell me where uh, 6440 Rock Springs Road is? Because I'm coming to this church here that, that invited me to come by. Uh, and I just want to know how to get there. Uh, would you escort me to the church? You'll see him, won't you? You'll see him when he shows up. But he didn't do that. He'll come in. Uh, do you mind if I worship with you today? Like, do you mind if I uh, sing a song? Do you mind if I, I mean, I got a burning message in my heart that I want to share with you. Or, or I have some things that I'm going to give you a few tickets that you may, you see, I know it's Sunday, but I'll give you a few tickets. Let's, let's come on. Let's, let's, let's see if the Falcons are going to lose today. <laughs> you, you see, it, it, it's some kind of offer. Yes, any kind of offer that will get you to place of having to reconsider something that you had made your mind up to be fully engaged in. That's it. So those, those things, those deterrents, those things that deflect your attention, those things that cause you to think differently than the way you ought to think. One of them demons showed up. One of those demons, but he dressed up real nice and you didn't even recognize who he was. So he says, he, he drowned the pigs. He drowned the pigs because, uh, and a as a result of that, when the pigs were drowned, the demons were released from the pigs, and now they're trying to find other places to possess. Now, I'm almost done, but I want to help you to understand something. In this day and hour, there are so many misrepresentations of Christ that it ain't funny. People trying to misrepresent Christ. And I'm calling a few things out because I saw this the other day, and I, I remember the, the thing where they had, uh, what's this thing on Jesus? The, uh, they, they misrepresented him, uh, this play, this play that they had many years ago. Huh? Yeah, Jesus Christ Superstar. 
Jesus Christ Superstar. And when they would sing those songs, a lot of folk in the church began to sing, I don't, I, I don't know how to love him. Because you think about it, it, it it's, that song sounds so good. And when you, you, you see, so they're lulled into Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ misrepresented. Jesus Christ misrepresented. And he creeps into all kinds of things. He creeps into all kinds of things. And people don't even recognize him because he just needs. Now, now uh, uh, Jay-Z has something out. Did you see it? They, the, the gospel according to Clarence. And they got a black Jesus on the side. What would Jesus do if he came from, if he was from the ghetto? And if he came, you see, and people begin to look at it. They said, man, at least you're talking about Jesus. Because his name is mentioned, people gravitate towards places where his name is mentioned and not really paying attention to what they're saying about him. Jesus asked the question, who do you, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, you such and such. No, Jesus said, wrong, 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 wrong. They got the wrong perception of who I am. I don't care how impressive. Oh, he, he, is, he is Elias that came back. He is such and such. Those are very honorable uh, mentions, but misrepresentations of Christ. He said, so, so that's what they say. And he said, and that's the thing that's more pervasive in our day, is that there are more people talking about Christ but misrepresenting him. You see, I thank God. See, the reason I was able to knock that rascal out is because you, Lord, you helped me. The reason, you see, uh, whatever the situation is, thank you, Lord. And, and we get so excited over the fact that somebody mentioned his name, and he said, now, a comedian. We saw a comedian the other day. Man, he cussed. But, but, but first of all, he said, I just want to give honor to God because you understand me and Jesus. He said, now nah, it's out the way. Now, why, yeah, 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 yeah. All kind of words came out of his mouth like a machine gun. And you say, but at least he said Jesus, so he must be saved. I like what Dr. Uh, I like what Dr. Ray said, Anderson said. He said, you're not a Christian because you say that you're Christian. You are Christian when I see Christ in you. <laughs> you see, Christ must be seen. Christ must be seen in us. Not what we say about ourselves, but what do we live? How do we live? You see, in our day, we must, we must first of all, maintain a level of spiritual accountability that we must set a high standard. Our standard must be a standard of righteousness that I want to live the life of Christ. I know I can't do it in my own strength, but I aspire for a standard. I ascribe for a standard that's above the standard that was established in my fallen nature. That must be the position that we take. My fallen nature is not sufficient enough. The way I'm accustomed to living is not good enough. And the way society, understand, we talk about legions. Legion is out there. Legion is in America. Legion is in racism. But it's not just in racism. It's in every kind of ism. So now we set a higher standard. Imperfect people ascribing to a perfect standard. And then, as a result of that, we can be a place whereby the Lord can do His work in us. Because what we call the Spirit, we talk about the Spirit of Legion. We talk about the Spirit of the devil. Let's look at what we call the Spirit of Christ. He is called the Holy Spirit. Why is He called the Holy Spirit? Because that's the Spirit that produces holiness within us. That's why God said, be holy as I am holy, that which is an impossibility within your own strength. But we set that as a standard. Be holy as I am holy. He, then you take a position as Paul would take. He said, I have, not, I have not attained, neither am I perfect. First of all, he says that my objective is to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. Then he says, neither have, I'm not perfect, neither have I attained. He said, but I'm pressing you see, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, reaching for the things which are before. I press toward the mark of the...
tribes of the high calling of God. His calling is a calling of holiness, y'all. His calling is a calling. So whenever you compromise the standard that God has established, then your good works are working against God. Because you're saying that his standard is unfair. His standard is insufficient. That you're requiring more than any of us could ever, uh, uh, ever, ever really uh, uh, express. But we're saying, Lord, your standard of holiness, therefore, look what it did for me. It put me in a perpetual state of neediness. A perpetual state of neediness. I need the Lord. I need him. Y'all might like him, but I need him. <laughs> I need him because I realize what he requires of me, what he requires of me cannot be carried out through me without him. Because without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I can do nothing. So now, let me close. Let me close this. Because we see this man of Gadara, wild man of Gadara, how he would, uh, he couldn't be held down because of the demons that controlled him. He, after the lake, after the demons had entered into the swine, verse 34 says, when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened. They looked around and said, what's happened? Then they came to Jesus and found this same man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Oh, look at this. This is beautiful. That wild man of Gadara. Now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Want to hear something? Talk, Jesus. Tell me, what, tell me how to live my life. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And here's where a lot of folk mess up when they pray. He is clothed. Listen, you got to read that with me because I don't want y'all to mess this up. He is what? Clothed and in his right mind. I thank you, Lord, for a reasonable portion of health and strength. Thank you, Lord, that I'm clothed and I'm clothed in my right mind. That my bed is not my cooling board, my sheets are not my whining sheets. And the cover of my grave, the cover of my bed is not the cover of my grave. I praise God for my, 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 my elders who thought that way and believed that way because they didn't understand how clear this was. He was with some clothes on. He was naked beforehand. So a part of the fact that he was sane again is because he knew how to put some clothes on. Now, did I say something? Did I say something? Did I say something? <laughs> you could tell if a person's sane. <laughs> if you know how to put some clothes on. <laughs> if you know how to put some clothes on in public, something wrong. <laughs> Something wrong. So you see how society has, has gone and said, people don't know how to put the clothes on. So, so, so let me tell you something. If that wild man, Gadara, was to come through here, don't put him out of church. Do what Jesus did. Jesus asked him his name. I, I know this to be true. When people dress like that, they lost their identity. They lost their identity. They don't know who they are. I, 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 I tell I, I tell. My, my children, I said, you got a daddy. You have a father. You don't have to show off. You have to show your body because you feel so, uh, uh, un, you, you don't have anybody to. You see, you got a daddy that love you. Your daddy and mommy love you. So you don't have to show off your body in order to get attention. I said, but, but because, you see, that's what people do. There, there is a deficiency within those who put their bodies on display. That's something. And, and then Sugar Daddy would love that. Sugar Daddy, you see, Pimp Daddy, he'd love that kind of stuff because he'd know how to exploit those who have those identity crises within their lives. So now, look what he said. He said, so the way we knew he was sane is because now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's number one. He's sitting. He came back to church. <laughs> he's sane now because he wants 
right instructions. We mentioned beforehand, the instructions that come from the Lord are not just instructions, but now he signified to Jesus as a community for spiritual growth to receive, first of all, with knowledge that leads to wisdom. So you say, sitting at the feet of Jesus, he's clothed and in his right mind. He's clothed and his right mind. Now, you would think that that would be all there was to it. And they were afraid. They were afraid. <laughs> so they all went. So also, uh, they also who had seen it told them by what means he had been demon-possessed. The demon-possessed was healed. They began to tell everybody, they said, this is what happened to the man that we know that no one could control. Then the whole multitude of, surrounding, of the surrounding region of, Gad, of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them. They said, get away from here, Jesus, for they were seized with great fear. And Jesus got, and he got in the boat and returned. He, he said, well, okay, y'all don't want me, I'm gone. <laughs> y'all scared of me because... You see, what happened, the Bible talks about it when he talked about how many joined them as would be saved. There were also those who feared to join themselves to the multitude. There were those out of the fear. They were protecting something. There was something that they did not want to let go of, and they were fearful of the fact that Jesus Christ would expose it. The requirements of Christ was too restrictive for them to even want to be around him. They said, look, I'm I ain't ready for it now. I remember I talked to my uncle who, uh, before he died, I said, Uncle, I said, uh, uh, do you want, I talked about Jesus, you received Christ. I said, right now, you can't handle the streets. You can't do the stuff you used to do. You're too old. You're bedridden. I said, what do you have to lose now to give your life to Christ? Some people get to the end. I, in other words, you're on your deathbed. The next person you see will be whoever you're going. <laughs> and he said, well, I ain't ready yet. When I get ready, I'll tell your mama, I'll tell your mama I'm ready. And I had to do his funeral. I said, what do you think I'm going to say? I said, he lived the way he lived, and he died the way he died. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. He lived the way he chose to live, and he died the way he chose to die. So now, let's look at this. So now, they all are amazed. They refuse to come around him. They're running. Jesus, they ran Jesus off. Jesus left. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with them. They want, he wanted to stay with Jesus. <laughs> he, said, he said, Jesus, where you go, I go. If you leave, I leave. Man, I'm tired of these gatherings anyhow. These folk get on. Here he was, not the worst thing in town. These folk get on my nerves. <laughs> where you going, Jesus? Let me go with you. Take me with you. Take me with you. Me, me and you. Me and you. <laughs> but Jesus sent him away. Jesus sent him away. Oh, I knew his heart was broken. This is what Jesus told him. He said, go back home. Turn to your house. Go back home. Now, now that sounds so cruel on Jesus' part. Here you delivered me, and you're going to send me back to the place where I got possessed. <laughs> You're going to send me back home. Jesus said, go back home. Uh, see, Jesus said, go back home. Why would Jesus say, go back home? He said, I want you to go back home because it ain't just about you. Your deliverance was not just about you. Return to your house and tell what great things God has done for you because now they will see the message. They won't just hear it. They'll see the message. If you've been changed, I was, <laughs> I was in, I was in, uh, I don't know why this came to my mind. I was in South Africa uh, in Cape Town. And while I was in Cape Town at this particular time, this past good friend of mine took me to a church. And that church had a white pastor. He was a former police officer. You know, in South Africa, uh, former, you know, the police were, you know, you talk about rough apartheid. You know, some of them, I know in certain towns, they would take, you would ride down, they'll take your ID, and then the next police would come behind the one that took the ID and ask for your ID. And because you didn't have the ID that was taken by the first cop, guess where you're going? 
you go to jail. So it was a setup. So the police did all kind of torturous things to people in South Africa. I mean, and you think about it, it hadn't been so many years ago that these particular things were happening. So when I met this cop, you know, uh, am I going to be at a place? I just get my mouth, gets, it gets me in trouble all the time. I asked a question. I said, I said, uh, sir, let me just ask you a question. I said, you told me you were a police officer. You said that, uh, in other words, if you were a police officer, you were part of the system. You're now retired, so you were part of the system. Did you have, did you have a Damascus Road experience? Because you tell me about all of the blacks that's coming to your church now. Did you have a Damascus Road experience or something occurred in your life where you had a transformative thing take place within you where you begin to see people differently? He got red and quiet. I said, I bet you he won't invite me back. That's one church I ain't going to be preaching. <laughs> but, but I was asking a question. It's because, you, you, you see, uh, whatever you were, you would no longer be. Whatever you were, you would no longer be. And because you draw a crowd, is it necessarily evident that you are, you are helping them to grow in the kind of community that would be productive and effective within their lives? So, so what happens, Jesus said, Jesus said, go back to your folk. And I would say to him, I said, go back to those racist police officers and tell them the great thing God did in your life. Go back, you see, go back to, go back to some other folk. Now, they did it in, 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 on the, in the island, you know, where Mandela was arrested. They, they're, they're working together now. They're working together. They, they have now the people that were police officers, the people that were prison guards, along with those that were prisoners, work together. They're the tourists. They're, they're the ones that take you on tour now. You see, because what happens, they worked through some things. So now their life, the life that they're living together is a testimony and a witness of the change that's occurred within them. So the same thing. He said, go back home. Go back to your environment. Your greatest impact effect will be among the people that saw you as you once were, that they will see you as you now are, as you are now. As you have changed, as your life has been transformed, I would say that to you. Go back home. When they go back to your neighborhood, I want them to see a difference in you from where you used to be to who you are now. When you go back, you see, you, you might have moved out of the projects. Go back to the projects and, and, and let them see you now. Not, not, your, not your affluence, not just how you've done financially, but the change that's occurred within your life your witness and your testimony will be strong among those that were once a part of your lifestyle. If you go back to them once you've been delivered, then I want you to be used in order to be an instrument of deliverance among those that you once were a part of. I'm going to quit right here. Father, we thank you for what you're saying to us. And I believe these instructions are deep because there's so much that's yet to be done within community, within society today, particularly with the divides, that how divided the culture is and how divided the church is. I like the song Amazing Grace, Lord, because you said I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's my testimony because of what you've done inside of me. And I pray, Lord, that we all can sing that and say that with conviction. That this is what we once were, but this is not who we currently are because of what you've done. So, Lord, thank you for the ones that heard this and the fact we heard it together. Because you're developing among us a community that would uh, display your wisdom to the world. Lord, draw those who are yet wayward, those who are yet struggling with identity. May they be drawn to you so that they can find themselves in 
you. Yes, no longer do I live because I've been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ because the life that I now live is according to the Son of God who died for me, who lived before me, and has died for me. So let that be our testimony as we come to this point within our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The invitation is to all. The invitation is to all of us. It's not just 